Well, I'm really interested to hear what, how many times you cried during this episode. What yeah. were the times you cried? And if you had time for the rewatch, uh, I did. If you I cried, did. cried on the rewatch um, uh, as much as you did maybe on the first time through. Yeah. But what I found, the older I get, the more like actually physically painful it is to cry. Like it uses muscles that I'm totally unfamiliar with at this point in my life. Like it hurts. Like now, now I don't know if I'm crying because I'm in pain of the crying or like what is the emotional thing that was happening with? Welcome in, everybody, to Ted Lasbro's episode four. As always, I'm here as Jeff. I'm Will. This is the only three episodes of a podcast I've ever put out that my mom has actually listened to. So, wow. Um, That makes me feel a lot of pressure, actually. It is. Yeah, absolutely. She won't even listen to my comic book shows. So I don't even know how she found these, frankly. I mean, I know she listened to one episode in particular. We don't have yeah, to talk I mean, about that episode right now. But Yeah, no, we'll uh, save that for our podcast feeds. Um, <laughs> where are we in this season, my good friend, Will? Oh, goodness. Season two, episode 10, no weddings and a funeral. Um, Rebecca is stunned by a sudden loss. The team rallies to show their support, but Ted finds himself grappling with a piece of his past. Um, we got, we, you know, I think I spent a lot of time listening to re-listening to our discussion last week. And one of the things that was kind of most impactful about last week's episode was that when you brought up the fact that it was a um, kind of a standalone episode that was added on after the fact. So I kept rethinking that after our discussion about how this doesn't necessarily fit into the narrative. Like it does and it doesn't. I'm curious to find out later maybe where it was written and where it was inserted in. But I'm, I found myself thinking about this episode where we left off at the previous episode before that at the loss of the team and some of the other things going on to kind of catch up to where to where we were. But still, this episode picks up several weeks after that episode ended. So where we fast forwarded um, a bunch of time where Sam and Rebecca's relationship is, um, you know, a couple of weeks into its infancy and um Actually, sorry, Jeff, I want to pause this for a second. Yeah. Before I start talking, before we start talking about this episode, I just want to throw out an idea. You can completely nix it and you could cut this out if you like. Oh, gosh. Um, I, I happen to be a fan of this other podcast that you host. Oh, gosh. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but on that podcast, um, you guys almost always start out the episode. You get a, a like, you get, a, um, you know, faithful, loyal listeners write in <laughs> and you start the podcast with an email. And I don't yeah. know if you have any emails I from was last week. Actually, going to suggest that possibility this time because I have I know a voice message from a listener, um, but I do have something funny I want to say. Um, episode ten: No weddings and a funeral, or as I like to think of it, the world's most emotional and ambitious Rickroll. <laughs> um, I've been waiting Wonderful. all morning to tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as, as you're getting that voicemail ready, the, yeah. you know, I was after we finished recording last week and then I re-listened to it 
I really, like, I didn't feel like I had the, uh, you read the email from um, our listener, Brian, Brian Garside. Garside. Yeah. And I think at the time I was so taken aback that we had any um, listener uh, emails to begin with that all I could do was stutter out a few words about, you know, loving mythic quest, but I just want to say like, that's awesome. And thank you, Brian. And um, send more emails. I, what I wanted to propose as an idea is like, if anybody is listening to us and following along with the show as it goes, whether it's right now during current episodes or as we begin the rewatch, if you want to send an email about the episode that we talked about previously, like if you're going to send an email next week and you want to talk about this episode, we can cover that email in the beginning of the episode before we start talking about the new one. And then if you want to write an email about the episode that comes out next week, like if you want to watch it, send us an email, share your thoughts on that exact episode that we're about to talk about, send that email. And we could either talk about it mid podcast or at the very end of the podcast to cap it out. I'm very on board with that, Will. I think that's a fantastic idea. So feel free in the subject line to write, you know, like episode 10 or episode 11 or whatever episode your question or content is related to. That's a very good call. Um, we're still using Jeff at the comicsplace.com to send those, but we should probably develop a shared email or something for it. Um, we'll work on that when we actually get the, the feed set up. We got Django back. We're probably just looking at, you know, once we finish out the tale of this season then kind of rebranding and reestablishing, not rebranding. It's Ted last bros for life. Um, so this is perfect because Andrew Carlson sent us an, a voicemail and he, I saw him today and he was like, I just wanted to mention, I just, I didn't even have anything specific I wanted to say going into it. Uh, but he just wanted to bop in and say something. So I haven't listened to this yet, but let's see what good old uh, Andrew Carlson has to say. Hey, Ted Lassoians. Ted Lassoians. I'm not sure how to say that, but we're just going to go with it. Ted Lassoians. Um, I'm not coming into this voicemail with a particular idea or anything. I just, A, wanted to thank you guys because this is a, and awesome. I've only listened to the first episode so far, but great, great conversation back and forth about like, uh, this is just such like an emotionally intense series that you don't always expect it to be like that. Like you, you get told it's a story. It's a series about like positivity and love and like now going into the second season and the amount of just emotional goings on and dealings that they're actually dealing with i don't know if i'm even making it make sense but i really appreciate it and i like that no one character is they're all human they make mistakes that even if you are like i don't know if i would have done that you can at least see like their logic or you can see like do things that i'm not proud of too like i like that it's not a perfect sitcom whatever it's it's real. It's raw. It's gross in many ways, but it's real. And that's, what's awesome about it. Um, yeah. So thank you guys for also being willing to be real and raw with us on the podcast. Um, have a good one. Love that guy. Friend of the show, Andrew Carlson. What a guy, what a what, guy, what a guy and a perfect segue really into this week's episode because yeah, it is. Uh, I think, you know, this was a, this was a burly episode. So being willing to show yeah, the inner damage of a lot of people um, is, is a thing that this one did well. 
Yeah, what really resonated with me uh, thinking about this episode in particular, but even just going backwards to a lot of the episodes this season, you you had mentioned, um, you know, some interview that the second season was kind of an Empire Strikes Back uh, season with season three being you know, the, the return of the Jedi season one would uh, expect to imagine. And on that same note, looking back at season one and it being like a new hope, it kind of even fits that that mold a bit like season one has so much positivity mm-hmm. and so much optimism and it just makes you feel good. And then season two is challenging those ideals ideas. And um, as you said before, it's like very brave of them to poke holes in this, you know, seemingly perfect character. Um, and even though we saw those things have maybe been there all along, we really, there's been a large buildup to, I think this episode and, you know, this episode was just this massive crescendo of, um, emotion and catharsis and getting things out there. Uh, I'm really, I'm really excited to dig into it as much as it was, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of heavy hearted, uh, you know, heavy stuff happening that made it more challenging of a rewatch, um, than some of the episodes where you're just excited to get back into the fun of it. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah, I, uh, well, I mean, I love when we kind of have our discussion just kind of bouncing back, following different character threads and whatnot. So I look forward to doing that. But what was the main conceit of this episode, Will, for anyone well, who needs a, a reminder? Yeah, I mean, we basically start the episode with Sam and Rebecca in bed, and which leads to what the entire episode revolves around. Um, you know, Rebecca and Sam seem very happy, and then they're having some discussions about whether or not they should tell people, and Sam is stressed, wants to tell everybody. Rebecca's just enjoying the secrecy of it. And then Rebecca's mom shows up and, uh, you know, talks about Sam's boxer briefs, you know, like clunky exposition. They leave very little to the imagination, which I thought was a fantastic line. Um, And then they just cut right to the chase uh, on that and said that um, Rebecca's dad has died. And then the episode is off, is off from there. So we've, we spend the entire episode with um, you know, all of all of our friends, the cast and crew, you know, talking about death, talking about funerals, thinking about death in all sorts of different aspects from, you know, the, the team being there to support Rebecca to, to Ted and the coaches all thinking about death and where does everybody go? Um, and Rebecca spending more time with her mom and kind of reliving her past and Ted processing Rebecca's father dying into his own grief and trauma. So there's a, a lot happening there. It ultimately leads to this big du- dual narrative moment between Rebecca and Ted, both, you know, giving us massive revelations or a lot of information dump about um, their fathers and why they have this trauma with their fathers and why they're mad at them and uh, have some moments of catharsis there. So I don't, do you have a, a preference on on where to start? Well, I mean, just coming right out of it, you mentioning that uh, that pretty amazing back and forth that we get when we're having this amazing revelation uh, from Rebecca talking to her mom about an interaction with her father and Ted going into the sequence of, you know, explaining what happened with his own father. Um, I thought that was so well done. And I really like this relationship that we've built between Rebecca and Ted kind of being this sort of twin flame idea, this idea of two people who are, you know, are so similar and, and kind of um, exist 
in relation to one each other to each other and doesn't have to be like a romantic thing and i just the way that the days with which these important events happened and and the the way that they kind of both explore their home investigating a sound and have this thing that they see happen to them um that they live with i i just think that this there's something really special going on with the kind of connection that they're uh demonstrating between Rebecca and Ted. And I, I really like that. And I also like that it's not a romantic thing. Did, did um, I was trying to figure out, but like seems to be the implication is that both of these events that happened to both of them that have reverberated through their entire life happened on the same day. Is that, right. that your was... takeaway or was it just kind of like, you know, the bouncing back and forth and okay, well, it could have been a different year. It could have been a different Friday the 13th. It's already coincidence enough that they both happened on a Friday the 13th. Regardless. I like kind of at first I asked that question my first time through. I was like, you know, maybe it's just a clever way of telling this story. But the second time through, I kind of chose to really think that the words that one another is saying as they cut to the other thing are the same. Like, you know, there's the explanation of the year and that revelation is divided between the two. But you know, Ted gets home because he's good. He was going to go watch the Friday the 13th movies with his friends and he went home to, and then Rebecca says, grab a bottle of wine, like steal some alcohol from her parents. And I was like, well, it makes sense that maybe Ted was trying to steal some alcohol to be watching this movie with his friends on Friday the 13th. Although I guess he was 16. which makes Although sense. he did say after he found it, he went and chugged a beer. Yeah, exactly. So like he is somebody that did drink. And so maybe that was, you know, I, the and like the the bang that he heard is maybe similar to like whatever banging you know that yeah i i did kind of choose to believe i guess i preferred choosing to believe that it was the same day um although now that i say that rebecca is older than ted and i don't remember how old rebecca says she was at that time but she was with her friend, which means she could have been in high school or so, because that was the, you know, one of the only times her friends didn't say anything. Um, so that would mean that if they were both in high school, it would have to be separate years. But I, I kind of choose, I kind of like choosing to think there's a weird sort of simultaneity thing between the two of them. Yeah, Ted, I mean, we know that Ted was 16 years old. Right. So we don't know how old Rebecca was mm-hmm. um, when this happened. But I think that show has also been um, a bit vague with what, Rebecca's age actually is right. Rupert's Rupert's older, but I think it's it's clear that you know Rupert was dating a younger woman, yeah. Um, in the first place, so there's there's definitely an age gap between Rebecca and Rupert, um, but we don't really know how old Rebecca is, and they never really talk about that age gap with anybody. So it could just be a couple of years. I mean, yeah. more than anything, it's just you know I think we've imposed that idea that she's a bit. Older right. than Ted because maybe she's at a higher station in life and such, but maybe they are a pretty similar age. Uh, I hope so. Don't know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, is there any part of you that thinks that this show will build to the idea of Rebecca and Ted in the relationship? I think that was kind of the the red herring at the beginning was maybe that's happening. Do you think that we are building towards that? I think it's still possible. I mean, they're very similar human beings, but. Mm-hmm. You know, they also gave us some of that information with they they keep giving us information on Ted's similarities with um, uh, Dr. Sharon, too. Right. Like she hates like they just threw that. She hates like a a wet paper bag. Um, 
So they, they keep giving us some of those things too. So I bounce back and forth between just the idea of like, well, they keep just throwing us ways to show that all of these people, while they may be different, are still similar and they all still share connections and a good reminder that like, as much as we are all different from each other, we are probably more in common than we are uncommon. Mm -hmm. So I go back and forth between that and maybe they are going to build something to it. And it's just, it's going to take a long, a long journey to get there. Um, But that's not necessarily where I'm putting, um, you know, I'm putting my thoughts or, or, or or hopes or anything like that, because um, if anything, I would say my guess is just, I might've said this before when we were talking that the show is just building connections between human beings. And Mm -hmm. it's very, you know, sitcom-y or dramedy to always have like two people circling each other and then finally bring them together at the end. Like that's, you know, big super trope. And it's not a horrible thing. Like that feels good when that stuff finally happens uh, in the end and the journey getting there. Um, it's easy. It doesn't have, yeah, exactly. It doesn't have to be what this show is about. And right. season two, I think is really showing a lot more about what, what this is about. And this show is not about as far as we've been told so far, it's not about Ted needing to find somebody to, to love. And it's even Rebecca not needing to find somebody to love uh, more than anything. They need, they're learning to like love themselves and, accept themselves for who they are and accept the people around them that they love for who they are. Um, so, you know, there's several like sort of big character things that happen in this, but I think, you know, the, the biggest, you know, probably most obvious one is Ted dancing in preparation for this funeral. Uh, I love the undercurrent that everyone sort of is like, yeah, we have to go to this thing and pretend we're sad. You know, like the whole time it's, it's kind of open that like, people have to pretend or act they're sad at funerals and even like Rebecca and her friends are like giddy and stuff. Um, But uh, like while they're there, but you know, Ted's dancing scene, I just want to point out that that man's that, that mustache, that boy has some man in him. Like that is, (laughs) that is a burly ass stash in that dance scene, but uh, it leads very poignantly to him having a panic attack. And I think that that's a really, one of the things about panic attacks that are so scary is you never like out of the total blue you know like he's just dancing getting ready for this thing and all of a sudden this panic attack happens but uh he calls dr sharon and uh yeah i mean that's you know kind of one of the big things in this episode uh how did you feel about the whole you know ted dr sharon panic attack house visit that whole thing so i'll start with the dance uh you know sarah even pointed out like he's in he's kind of in denial mode while he's listening to the music, right? Like it feels like you should have seen it coming. And Dr. Sharon even says that like preparing to go for somebody else's father's Mm -hmm. funeral would no doubt trigger you preparing to go to the funeral, which leads into, we come back to that, but we leads into the him saying he never went to his father's funeral, but it still seems obvious that it would, it would lead up to that. And so it feels like he's just dancing to music, trying to feel good, trying to hype himself up to being, you know, the Ted Lasso that we know and love, but going to tie his tie. And then we, you know, he does, he starts to have a panic attack and we see a flash. We see army man. We see him building Legos with his son. We see the dartboard um, flash by. So we get those three pieces of imagery, army man, Legos with his son and um, the dartboard all seemingly having connections to his father and his son and everything there. Um, there's also on the mantle, there's a picture of his son on the mantle. 
as he starts to have the panic attack and a picture of um, Nate, who I kind of almost see sometimes as, as Ted's surrogate son to a to a degree, um, you know, even buying him a suit and infantilizing him by doing so. Um, that comment is going to got to come back, right? Yes. Nate's got to do tear Absolutely. that dude up next week or something. Um, so the other thing, while I was checking Ted Lasso's Twitter account, I actually just sent a link yeah, in the chat if you wanted up. to click it real fast. If it uh, if Twitter works the way that I think it's supposed to, this was on Ted Lasso's Twitter account from a couple weeks ago. Yeah, um, and it's a picture of his son wearing like five or six or seven ties, and says we've tied a few games lately. But Henry just reminded me that a few ties can make you look ready for a promotion and also for uh, future Marty from Back to the Future too. Uh, <laughs> great. So if you read this a few weeks ago on on you know if you're following Ted Lasso's, Lasso's Twitter account, it's just just a funny joke. Uh, back to the future from Ted Lasso. But now you look at it and like, if you go through this Twitter account, it's you're just all reads like Ted Lasso, the character um, posting tweets. So there's different things that go on. So I find this really interesting. I'm actually going to follow it a lot more, but you see this picture of all these ties and then he was tying the tie and had all these images of his, his son while also thinking about his father at the same time. I thought this, this was an interesting tie into Twitter to show us just another extra little glimpse at what's going on inside Ted uh, Ted's head while thinking about just something as simple as tying a tie. Right. Because uh, I think a lot of his panic attack moments, not just his dad, but also, um, you know, potentially failing his son as a father. Right. We saw that a few weeks ago when he had that panic attack. It was after the school tried calling and I think it was him failing his son. So when we go into the conversation with Dr. Sharon and he talks about how he hates his father um, for quitting on the family and um, not, not being there and what he put his mom through and what he put him through. I think that there's some, some more going on in Ted that maybe we haven't quite got to or covered yet of just that he feels he's failing his son. He feels like he's failing his son in maybe a similar way, not the same, but in a similar way to his dad, because he's not there for his son. He's moved, you know, as almost as far away as he could possibly move and is, is unreachable. So I, I think that that's going on in his head just as much as, you know, the trauma of having lost his father. Yeah, I think the like the fear of failing his son, or at the very least, the fear that his son will hate him one day in the same way that he hates his own father you know like which comes from maybe a sense of failing um what do you why do you hmm, why do you think (laughs) ted's dad killed himself do we have any for whatever reason as i was watching it the first time i was like well right his dad you know had cancer and probably was he thought it'd be easier to kill himself and I was like, wait, I just constructed all that cancer stuff. I, that, 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 I, for whatever reason, I think that in the first season, like him dying at 16, I kind of constructed some theory that it was probably medical or something. But then I was like, no, that, there's, there's none of that. So I'm curious, like he does say like his dad was gone a lot. He was out with friends. So I don't know if there was like maybe a substance abuse issue or something. But, you know, it's, it's an interesting I don't know where that comes from. You know, it's a, it's a big thing. And you would think that the parents that would bring Ted Lasso out would have to be, you know, perfect beings. I, you know, I, I think it's hard for probably anybody to understand reasons anybody commits suicide. Right. I think that that's something that 
you know, mental health experts grapple with right. quite a bit. And Ted just talking about how he wishes his dad knew that he was a good father. And if, if he knew the things that he was good at that he didn't seem to necessarily care about, like he probably wouldn't have done what he did. Or I guess we haven't gotten any, you know, like, yeah, no one knows why anyone kills themselves, but we haven't really gotten any glimpses in the last two seasons of anything that have demonstrated maybe him having any problems, right? Like, yeah, we don't, I mean, we know, don't I, know much about I, him at all. I, I mean, it, what we did, we got what we got from, from Ted. It sounds like Ted's father was a lot like him. Yeah. And, and so he probably suffered from anxiety and depression and depression the same way that Ted is in probably like, you know, Ted says he's a chatterbox and not as good of a listener as he could be. So just kind of processing this real time, I almost think that Ted could be in the same situation as his father with mm -hmm. having those suicidal thoughts. And if Ted's father had, you know, had therapy to be able to visit what his, you know, depression and fears and failures and anxieties were, he maybe wouldn't have done that. Maybe he would have had a better opportunity to find, to, to realize that he was a good father. And so we might see Ted go on this similar journey of, because Ted is, you know, lucky enough to be put in the hands of, of Dr. Sharon that he's not going to follow the same path of his father and have some of these revelations. I like to think that maybe we will learn more about what happened with Ted's dad, but maybe we won't. And maybe Ted never did. Maybe, you know, I, I kind of think that maybe there was no note left behind. Nobody right. knows why they know that he was a chatterbox. They know that he was an outgoing guy, but didn't, didn't know all of these other things that he keeps buried. And Ted's been that person this whole time we've known him too. Ted is a chatterbox and he keeps a lot of his feelings buried. And I think um, it speaks to that danger of just when we, when we hold everything in or we don't allow ourselves to seek help from people similarly processing in real time with what you were saying. It makes me think about a thing that I think about kind of often is like, you know, my parents. And when you're young, you're like, man, I'm not going to be like my parents. I'm going to like be. And the older you get, I just, I'm like, wow, I'm, I have the same struggles with a lot of shit that my parents do. And on not super positive days, I'm like, man, I'm going to be just the same as them. Like, I'm not going to, you know, like sometimes I even think these metaphoric or metaphysical, like, you know, every, the lives of your children and you, you all live through the same things and you have the same problems um, and you do the same things and you don't, you don't have an ability to get out of them. Really what Ted is demonstrating here is counter to that. It's this idea that he has these same problems that his dad has maybe, but he actually is finding help, even as challenging as it is. He's talking to, you know, Dr. Sharon and in doing so, that might be the thing that prevents him from actually ever being his father is, you know, we're not actually uh, cursed to be our parents. Yeah. And he was able to reach out for help at the time he needed it the most. And I really liked that when um, Sharon arrived, I mean, we got a glimpse of his apartment that was kind of in disarray and there's, yeah. you know, whiskey bottles, you know, strewn about and army men everywhere and um, dishes all over, dishes all over the yeah. place. He's just not taking care of himself at all. He says he's doing better, but you know, not great. And she says, that's great. You know, that's, 
that gives me, that's exactly where I need you to be. So I can get inside there, uh, get inside your head and start working on things. And he's finally like, I'm ready to tell you whatever you need to hear, you know, whatever, I'll tell you anything. So it was great that he was able to find that moment and had somebody that he could reach out to at the exact time when he needed it most, or where would he be right now? If and that, that wasn't the case. You're yeah. That, that bit about her getting to his home and seeing how, you know, in the disarray that it's in, and you brought up last week or two weeks ago um, when Ted gets to her house, the alcohol bottles all over, there's a similar state of disarray. And I just think that it speaks to a similarity that Dr. Sharon and he have, which is on the outside, they project these totally together people, but they both live alone. And on the inside of your home, kind of like the inside of our heads and our hearts, you know, there's a lot going on there that you wouldn't necessarily think from the, the surface of how together they seem. So I think it, there's something being said about uh, the difference between how we project ourselves and how we really are internally in the way that those two choose to keep their homes or don't choose. Yeah. <laughs> I loved her line of uh, remember your four, seven, eight breathing. I'll be there soon. Cause four, seven, eight breathing. I was like, I remember early on in my therapy, that was a breathing technique um, this is just supposed to sort of center people and help you overcome some anxiety, breathe in through your nose, diaphragmatic breathing for four counts, and then hold it for seven counts and then breathe out through your mouth for eight counts. I was just like, Oh, good, good reference. You've got, you've got therapists in the writing room with this or something. I didn't know the, I, I mean, I figured it was an exercise, but I didn't have that information. So it's great to hear that. I, so what I really, what I really liked, and, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to get yeah, too too personal. Um, however, you know, I, I alluded to I made a joke, you know, a couple of weeks ago. It's a good thing neither one of us have, you know, father issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, and I think maybe everybody does to some degree, or they have mom issues, or they have dad issues, or they have both. Um, and if you don't, then you're an incredibly lucky person. But those those moments and those baggage that we have from our parents, uh, I think so many people have them. And we see both of both Rebecca and Ted have this baggage from their parents that they're kind of carried with them their entire lives and they've shaped a lot of who they are. But I, I just loved so much because when I think about the baggage that comes from, from my father and my relationship with him and my siblings relationship with him is Sharon's wanting Ted to relive what she liked, what Ted likes about his father. What's a happy memory and I found myself thinking about that a lot after watching this, even rewatching it the second time and kind of pausing it or even just sitting quietly after watching the episode to, to think about it a lot because that's, there's so much baggage that um, in my life from my relationship with my father or lack thereof at this point, I like to, it, it's, it's, such, it's such a good exercise to just think. And, you know, going back to Higgins line from a few episodes ago, I, I try to love my father for who he is and forgive him for who he isn't. And so I'm finding myself watching these episodes, just kind of processing through a lot of my own personal baggage and, you know, it's healthy and it might even be even healthier for me to talk to a therapist about it at some point in my life. Big up for therapy. It's a great, uh, it's just a great, it's a great thing for me to go through to process that. Cause I can't, I don't want to just keep my, my own baggage all, you know, bolted down on the inside because we see watching the show that that's not the healthiest thing in the in the world for these characters. So it makes me want to revisit and think about those happy memories that I've had with, you know, my dad or with my parents as a child growing up and hold on to those. And, you know, my, my father is 
is still alive, but I haven't talked to him in, you know, I don't know, close to 10 years now, but I still have a picture of him up on my, uh, in my wall, in my, in my hallway. And uh, my brothers and sisters have a variety of, you know, they have, they haven't talked to him either. And everyone has different feelings about that, but it's, for me, it's like, now we're looking at that picture. I'm thinking about, I just use it to think about the good times and not to hold on to any baggage that came later on. So I just really, really liked where Dr. Sharon took the conversation that allowed Ted to live in this happy memory and happy moment of his father and not necessarily completely let go of all of the negative feelings that he has towards him, but remember the good stuff because that stuff matters just as much, if not more than all of the traumatic, horrible stuff. Yeah, I'm so glad that you brought that up because, you know, each episode I kind of walk away with it trying to think about what's the theme of this episode. And to me, that's the theme of this episode. And to me, on my second time through, it became immediately apparent at the beginning of the episode when they're talking about, Ted says, well, I used to think good people went to heaven and bad people went to hell, but now I realize everybody does both, so it doesn't matter. Um, So the note that I ultimately have here is that... uh, Cause I, you know, I like to consider myself an open book. My dad uh, about 12 years ago did some bad things and went to prison and he's still there. Um, but about halfway through that time, he developed a really severe uh, type of dementia. So now there's just nothing. He's just, uh, he can't talk or do anything. When somebody does a horrible thing, it's easy to holistically write them off. And a big challenge in my life for the last 12 years has been how do I do, do I write this person off Oops. or do I entirely forgive them for it? Um, so I think that that's a thing that has been on the forefront of my consciousness for a very long time. I work at a comic shop. Um, sadly, in the last five years in the media and art and comic creator circles or actors, we're learning, you know, the favorite actor turns out is a horrible person or a comic writer. Oh, is a horrible person. And that's a really hard thing for me to then just say, this person did this horrible thing 15 years ago, so we have to punish them now. I don't disagree with that, but I, I, it's really hard for me to unilaterally decide that someone is either good or bad or needs to be punished for a thing that they did because my dad did a bad thing, but he was a really good dad. So how do we, you know, I think it's, I think that we are doing a disservice to people to only choose to view them through singular actions of theirs. And I think that um, as with all people in life, learning to hold the good things and the bad things at the same time is incredibly important. And I think that when we hold on to a bad thing, we, when we think about just the bad stuff, um, it kind of creates this emotional choke point in our lives. And I think that it only kind of, serves to block us up because we're not really, you know, it's okay that a bad person can also be appreciated in certain regards as well. People are complex things. So um, I, I, I felt really blessed that they were talking about that in this episode and they were talking about it through Ted's dad. They were talking about it through Rebecca and her father um, as Rebecca's mom is sort of talking about like, yeah, he wasn't perfect, but I didn't need him to be like, he cheated on me, but he still came home. Like he still wanted to I think it speaks to the complexity of humans that we're able to look at people from multiple lenses like that. I don't blame other people for not being in a situation like me that they're able to 
close the door on somebody. Right. My sister is more like that than I am. But yeah. for me, I have a, a weird, I hold on to it. So it's, uh, yeah, I, that was to me, the really powerful thing about this episode was exactly what you were just saying. Yeah, very well said. Um, and thanks for sharing that. I, um, I like that. I like all of that ideas and that segue into Rebecca, like Rebecca and Rebecca's, mm-hmm. Rebecca's mom. And I really like that point about just, you know, you don't, you don't blame anybody else for wanting to close the door on something forever, right? If some of my siblings want to close the door on any, you know, any sort of relationship with my father forever or vice versa, um, I don't necessarily blame anybody for any of those feelings, but I, I try to sit somewhere in the middle and be upset, but also remember all of the great things and, you know, where can we meet in the middle? I mean, one day, like I, I identified with, with Roy a lot from just the idea of like, we've got one life to live. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to enjoy every single moment of it and not want to hold on to a lot of this baggage, but on the note of Rebecca's mom and Rebecca, I had that in my notes to want to, want to, want to talk to you about a little bit more because I was trying to decide if Rebecca's mom's approach to life was healthy or not. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't feel like I know the, I know the answer to that. And I, she doesn't seem like she's a miserable person and she's got a lot of wisdom as a mom would over the years. She's got baggage and she makes reference to all of the baggage, but once, once she loves something, she loves something forever and will continue to love it regardless of uh, love that person or love that thing, regardless um, of what happens the rest of her life. She's still always going to love those. And uh, it seemingly to me has led her overall to be happy or relatively happy, as happy as one, you know, can be in with all of the things that have kind of happened to her throughout her life. And she was aware of her husband cheating on her, but like he always came back and she still loved him for who he was as a person and forgave him for the things that he wasn't. Um, You know, she would leave him for a while and then inevitably go back to him as we saw in, you know, previous episodes. And it always seemed a bit superficial, but we got to see more of who she was as a person and who she was as a mother. And she cares a lot about Rebecca. She doesn't know how to say it because she's grappling with the way that Rebecca has traded for her for all these years. And we got that moment of her saying, I'm, I'm glad to know that you hate me because I'll take your anger over indifference any day. Right. She's because the anger still comes along with love, despite all those things versus indifference means you just don't care whatsoever. So what do you, what do you think of Rebecca's mom and her, her take on life? Is it? Yeah. I, I, thing? I just enjoy talking to you, Will, because that was my exact kind of spot I was at with it too. I was like, what is this saying about her mother's approach? And kind of, I guess, like we were just saying, I wasn't even processing it through this lens, but maybe it's both. And I think it for a couple of reasons, I, you're right. It does seem like she's a relatively happy person for the most part. She loves people and she loves them forever. Uh, Her quote of saying, you know, at the end of the day, what's more important being right or being loving. Right. I think that that's the real wisdom there. I think like being loving rather than correct is, such an important thing. But then in thinking about the negative aspects of it, when Rebecca does say, you know, the mom says, I, I always knew. And she's like, well, then I hate you also. Um, I hate you for letting him treat you like that. Because kind of going back to what I was thinking earlier, I sort of, you know, I'm in an age where I'm thinking a lot about just, are we becoming our parents or what do we inherit from our parents? And 
Rebecca ended up in a similar situation as her mom with her relationship with Rupert. And I think that, you know, we inherit behaviors from our parents, but we also model all sorts of things after our parents. And, and I think that that is also true of the love that we allow ourselves to accept. And I think that because Rebecca's mom allowed herself to be in that situation and be passive and being in this bad relationship, I think that it instilled a thing within Rebecca that it was hard for her to find a relationship where she was treated correctly because she hadn't been given the impression uh, of what a good relationship is. So, you know, I think on an independent level for her mom, it's probably an okay lifestyle and, and positive and negative, but then it's also, you know, positive and negative for Rebecca as well, because her mom not standing up for herself kind of imprinted in her a model for relationships are, and I don't think it's a healthy model for relationships. So I, I think it's both. I think if you can love people for who they are, that's very, very good. But I also think you need to be willing to love yourself and stand up for what you believe you deserve. But similarly, I just, it, I, it's a complex question. And I think that this show is so great for giving us a question without a clear answer. You're, you're right about like the loving for sure. Like writing love, learning to love yourself. And, you know, I'm, you know, we, we both have mentioned that now as potentially even like an overarching long-term theme of the show is mm -hmm. characters learning to love themselves. And so despite her happiness, it does leave that question of like, does she, does she love herself? And she does say how proud she was of Rebecca for leaving Rupert. Like she was too afraid to leave um, her husband for you know all the reasons that might come with it and that's that's potentially understandable it's a, it's, it's a big scary thing and Rebecca says it was terrifying for me to do and it was horrible at first but now I've come to quite enjoy being single and what it what it means for me um so that was interesting to put that all in perspective with everything you just said but she as 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 happy as she seems she was envious of Rebecca for having the courage to do what she could never do. So I think you're right. Like it's a bit of both things. It's, it's healthy, but it's also a bit unhealthy. And at the end of the day, maybe there's just no, there's no exact right way that any one person should live their lives or the decision they make. And there's always going to be hindsight is 2020. Uh, we're going to always have some regret over some decisions that we make, no matter what decisions we make along the way. And both Rebecca and Ted kind of in this episode, we learn, you know, do the thing that the parent could never do Ted going to therapy and Rebecca leaving the unhealthy relationship. So like it does speak to, you know, I bet Tad's Ted's dad would be proud of him for, you know, not silencing himself. Yeah, absolutely. Then we get, you know, they both have these great moments of catharsis and then they move forward into the, into the funeral and Rebecca goes to give the eulogy and has trouble finding her words. And like, this was probably the moment that got to me the most, the second watch through, especially uh, it got to me the first time, but I didn't. So cry moments. I think I had the, you know, I was welling up during both Rebecca and Ted's kind of dual moments. Mm -hmm. um, and then again, during this, but then the second time watching this again, just having Ted arrive, Rebecca struggling to find her words and, Ted just has that lasso effect that mm -hmm. like you even see a bunch of people turn around and a bunch of them now smile that Ted is there. Like he just continues to have that ability to light up the room and, you know, 
change the color of a few seats around them um, <laughs> from blue to red. Uh, Cause that's just the effect that he has on, on everybody just by, by being present. And I don't know if Ted knows that he's so good at those things. Like that's just another one of those things that he, he needs to learn. He, he needs to know to learn to love himself more of the effect that he has on people. But then Rebecca starts to sing, um, you know, the Rick Astley song that's been playing throughout the episode. And then Ted joins in and then the whole audience joins in and, Oh man, that was that was Niagara Falls. What, so what got you about that? Because I, I processed that song moment two different ways both times that I watched it. So I'm I'm curious and both good, but um, I can't yeah. remember what I processed for it for the second for the first time. But I know for a fact the second time it was just an incredible amount of show of support and bravery mm-hmm. from friends like Ted to be the first one to join in, to show his support. It was a Ted and then it was Keely and then it was Sam. So it was like her really, you know, her close friends and relationships kind of being there for her first and then everybody there. And then it's just this collective shared moment that they all had there to support Rebecca, who's clearly processing a lot of complicated feelings about her father, right? No matter how much you might be mad at somebody, they were, she was, he was her father and so she has obviously a lot of complicated emotions and not have finding the words. So to just have all of those people there, it was, it was a beautiful moment, but how you process it two different ways. Well, I guess, I mean, the first time I watched it, I was thinking, I was thinking mostly about her singing the song. So what does this song mean to her and how does this song speak to her relationship with her father? And of course she stumbles at the point where, you know, she says, never going to say goodbye so it's to me, it was this like, oh, dang, like, you know, loss. And she's processing it by speaking to the loss. But then the second time I processed it from the other side of it, which is more what you were just saying, which is what a show of support, because those lyrics, as this person is sad to be experiencing loss, here are the lyrics of this song from all of the people that matter the most to her, literally saying, I'm never going to give you up. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to lie to you. I'm never going to say goodbye. Like you can feel bad and we're going to be here for you. And, and that to me was the kind of the key to unlocking that scene for me, rather than like, what is this? How is this song indicative of her relationship with her father? It was, Oh no, like this is so important as the audience singing it because they're just quite literally everyone saying we're here for you. And what, like, that's exactly what somebody in that situation needs. So I thought it was, that was incredibly beautiful. Um, And I just, you know, as with so many things, I was looking at it from maybe a different side uh, my first time through. Yeah. Like the incredible show of support was there kind of throughout the episode. So this Mm -hmm. was, this was there at its, at its peak. It was uh, a lot of the more lighthearted moments of the episode were around them, you know, figuring how to show support. We saw at the beginning of the episode when the team was like, we're going to be there. Sarah was even like, if my boss's father passed away, I don't think I would be going to their funeral. It's like, well, you know, they're, they're this just, they're this tight knit family at this point, And they're going to be there to, to, to show this support. That was the first moment I welled up was when they started getting off the bus. And I was like, Oh damn. Yeah. Like I knew this was going to happen, but also it's just so, powerful all of these like boys you know emotionally distant boys well they're not emotionally distant because they've been ted lassoed but you know i like how they approach that moment too because rebecca was kind of in shock that they all came right she didn't have any expectations for them to come right 
they showed they just they all showed up and then she was like oh, he uh you know higgins was there to you know say sorry for your loss and oh you know they came how many of them came and he said all of them yeah and that that hit hard he's like Me all too. of them and she's like and they're not wearing trainer <laughs> <laughs> the emotional punch and then the joke like i love it. uh you know that was that was a great moment in the locker room earlier when isaac was like we're all going and you gotta um you know wear a shirt and jamie rolls his eyes and uh and no trainers and then yeah. we learned that like they've they've never worn anything besides um you know trainers or sneakers or whatever danny's and poor feet <laughs> danny danny's like where do i even buy dress shoes and <laughs> colin is like i don't have time to stand in line at midnight to get new shoes uh those were all fan the guy's like well what if i got really nice sleek looking trainers he's like what color bright red <laughs> no <laughs> uh you know that was a fantastic moment uh in the heavier episode and then yeah danny was just gold through the entire yeah. episode he's walking into the into the cathedral like not knowing how to walk and he's like jesus has no place yeah. in the conversation about these shoes was such a good line i'm gonna yeah. burn them when i get home and then he's like wincing and like welling up with pain and the old lady is comforting him because she thinks he's sad. And then when he's finally wearing the pink slippers uh, at the end of the episode was uh, just wonderful, fun moments interspersed. And then more support from the, you know, Keely being there as a friend and then Sassy and Nora show up to all be there and support Rebecca. And then, Man, what a great moment, like when they're in the, I don't know if they're in the rectory or wherever, the room that they were in and they yeah. were laughing and having fun, like doing what, you know, exactly what Keely would do in that moment, trying to cheer her friend up and, you know, just having fun and, and making a light moment that led into them questioning who, uh, who, who she's been sleeping with for the last two weeks. I love that Keely just knew like, and didn't even know she knew like, that was just so great. Is he tall? Yes. Is it Sam? <laughs> you know? uh, I really, I mean, everything about that, that those scenes and that moment was perfect um, leading up to it. Cause you know, even, even when Rebecca's mom came in, uh, I think my expectation was maybe the normal sitcom thing where Rebecca's mom comes in and then says, Oh yeah, it's Sam. And kind yeah. of, takes the wind out of everybody's sail um but instead she comes and says i know it's and it's good, good. <laughs> yeah. and it just leads to more girl talk uh them all screaming and and having that so it was just that was so much fun as well and just and a the great daughter's boss ass bitch line was so good boss ass bitch uh, <laughs> i love that that yeah that nora who we saw in an earlier episode has a crush on sam wasn't like angry about it or anything right. like that she was just like you're a boss ass bitch um that was that was a wonderful scene i second time through still just a big smile on my face because yeah. that was a lot of fun and it was just an amazing show of support for friends you know changing the subject and um you know keeping her mind occupied and and having fun during it and you know it speaks to this show again because just like you said i think that it it never takes the easy sitcom route of anything. Like I also thought the mom was going to say it, but nope, she allows that moment to be even better for somebody else at Nora. I was worried she's going to get mad and there's going to be a rift between her and Rebecca. No, just better than that. Like it's just total support because she knows that like, you know, yeah, that, that was just really, really great. So then we get the pretty powerful scene coming out of that 
uh, where, um, well, actually after the funeral, but where Sam's in the closet and he pulls her in and um, he turns the light on in the closet. And I was like, man, that didn't do much. But then when they, when they leave the scene and he turns the light off, I was very aware of how much darker it got. And I was like, man, I can't imagine that scene happening without that light on. It was just a weird moment in my head where I was like, dang, that was perfect lighting. But <laughs> um, they, you know, Rebecca breaks it off with Sam, or at least they're taking a break. Um, what do you think of her reasoning for that? What? It didn't feel like a final breaking up thing. It was, uh, I got to, you know, see why I'm afraid of this healthy thing, like, what do you what do you think what is what's her reasoning there you know i talked about that with sarah for a minute kind of trying to trying to process it and you know there's on one hand she says to her mom or was it to her mom or was it to uh keely or or sassy i can't remember right this moment but she she does say she quite enjoys being single Mm -hmm. um she's enjoying this kind of freedom that that she's had and which maybe also why she wasn't necessarily wanting to be quick to run off and tell everybody about her relationship with Sam. I mean, aside from like the press and the whatever scandal or however it might be billed, it doesn't even seem like she's put much thought into that. Right. Keely says, you know, why are you going to do it? Um, is it because of the press? And she's like, no, I don't know. Maybe like, yeah. she's not even really put a lot of thought into what would come out of the public knowledge of the relationship, other than she likes the, the sneaking around and she's just having fun with it. When she breaks it off with Sam, you know, I hate big butts and I cannot lie. She says she can't get past how wonderful he is and that he could really hurt her. And he said, you know, you're wonderful too. And you could hurt me also. And she said, doesn't that scare you? And he says, no, but it terrifies her. You know, it doesn't scare him, but it terrifies her. And she needs to figure out why she's so scared of getting hurt. And I think personally that this is her just continuing down this journey of I need to I need to learn how to love myself before I can let somebody else in who could potentially hurt me even more Rupert hurt me my father hurt my mom and hurt me and I'm not ready to do that again and I need to figure out what it is I want before um, I explore this more and Sam is wonderful and when she breaks it off, Sam conti- he's Sam is exactly what we still expect him to be. He's still mm-hmm. mature and understanding and charming. Uh, you know, warns Rebecca that he's only going to get more wonderful, and he's just a complete gentleman about the whole thing. So it definitely didn't feel like there was full closure to it. Uh, so perhaps they will revisit it, but at the same time. Maybe they won't because Rebecca really needs to find herself and mm-hmm. figure out what makes her happy. What are your thoughts? I'm, you know, I, I really liked your read on that. Uh, on the, you know, less deep front, just the idea that he's perfect and she doesn't think that he is and she's afraid of that. Um, but it made me sort of question like my own fears about my own relationships and why you know, why certain things in relationships scare me or, you know, like what has happened in other past relationships that have caused echoes to ripple in my current relationships. Um, And I I guess that kind of just so much of what this episode did was, you know, my mom was like, wow, you guys like are, you really are talking through stuff. Like I, like you're, you know, there's references and metaphors I'm not thinking about. And, you know, that's a 
I don't blame anybody who looks at art as a form of entertainment because that's what it is. But I always, when something speaks to me, uh, when something, when I really like something or when something makes me laugh or cry, I get really like, I look at it and I ask myself why, um, you know, when we choose to ask ourselves why things resonate with us, I think it allows us to learn really valuable things about ourselves. And it, it just this episode and that moment, you know, kind of highlighted to me how much art can be used as a tool um, in a great way. We both like a band called Tool. I remember really early on learning about that band. Somebody was like, why do you call yourselves that? And Maynard says something the effect of like, because we want to be like your tool for whatever. Like we want, you know, whatever it is that you need to get over or you need to realize or whatever you need to process, we want to be the thing that helps you do that. So we are a tool. And that sort of look on art has always stayed with me since I was, you know, 14 and reading that quote, which is just this idea that uh, art is in my mind, the most valuable way to teach lessons, because it's not someone talking down to you. It's kind of extending and meeting in the middle, allowing people to analyze themselves and the thing and kind of hopefully get to a, a new step and a new space. So, you know, I, I speaking directly to your question, I, I agree. Um, although I, I do. Yeah. The, the, your line about the need to, you know, maybe she just needs to learn to love herself before. And I think that's the most wise thing that she could do. Cause I don't think, until you value yourself, you're going to be able to healthily interact uh, in a way with somebody that is respectful to them and also demands the respect that you deserve. But more than that, also, I just love that it made me just sit there and be like, what am I afraid of? Like, what are, what are, what are the lasting implications of previous relationships in my life that then caused me to have uh, less than healthy interactions with my current relationship? Yeah. Um, to have a mini tool cast for a second, I think yeah. it has... I think this, I think this is plays into the next thing I want to talk about for a second, but you know, I tool, I, that's exactly what I use tool for. It's a pro, it's like, there are times where I feel like I just need to listen to their music to process some emotions. Um, the 10,000 days album mm -hmm. came out around a very close proximity to when my, when my mother passed away. And you know, I know that the lead singer of tool Maynard, his mother, Judith, he lost her and some of the music on this album was him processing the emotions of losing his mother. And so when I listened to um, ten, the song 10,000 days and wings for Marie, like that is, you said earlier, sometimes you just need a, a, a cry to just mm -hmm. clear out your system. Um, if I put on 10,000 days and wings for Marie, that's exactly what happens. And yeah, just, you got to be careful with that. It is just a, it is just a, a I can't, yeah, I have to be in the right place at the right time right. and put it on if I'm on a long drive and I just, I need to get this out of my system. Um, I use it, I use it for that. Um, so having lost my, my mom all that, you know, these 10 plus years ago, I, I identified a lot with what was going on with Roy mm -hmm. um, in this episode. Unlike Roy and Keely and some of their moments together. And from the very beginning of the episode, um, Roy kind of immediately deflects about death and just like Keely's what happens when you die? And he's like, you're in a, you know, in a, in a drawer in a morgue. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's played a bit up for laughs, but you can also tell that Ted, that Roy is, is got something going on. Cause he immediately, you know, takes a beeline and Keely's like, well, he's on his period right now. Like, Oh, okay. That makes sense. Um, and throughout the episode, we get like Roy constantly, 
kind of trying to deflect, but at the same time, it, it does feel like in a way he's trying to cheer Keely up and mm-hmm. get her out of being in a funk. And he's constantly making jokes. And they were some of the you know funnier moments in the episode where, you know, she asks what would happen if you got hit by a bus tomorrow, what would you want to do? And he's like, I'd want you to go after that bus driver and avenge me. <laughs> um, um, I didn't know there was a fucking kid involved. Yeah. In I love that. Too. <laughs> like- <laughs> and she says she wants to be, she wants to be turned into fertilizer so she can be have a tree planted and then her friends and family can eat the fruit that she helped nourish. Your rotting corpse. (laughs) um, Which I I do tend to agree a bit. Um, (laughs) Kind of a bit gross. And then later Roy is eating the apple at the funeral and he's like, it's delicious. It tastes like dead people. Cheer up Keely. It's a funeral. Um, So all of those moments led to, Roy apologizing and there's another part of this that we'll have to talk about in a second too but Roy apologizing um for his behavior throughout the um you know leading up to the funeral throughout the episode that we're watching and talks about when he lost his grandfather all he all he wishes was for what you know when he was a kid his grandfather died all he wanted was one more conversation with his grandfather like that said just one more conversation and he prayed and prayed and prayed and got fuck all um you know man like those were those are all my emotions that i processed Mm -hmm. through like losing my mom and just wanting one more day one more conversation and you know i think that anybody who's ever lost a family member can think about the last time that they talked to that family member and potential opportunities that they had to talk to that family member. So I constantly revisit that idea of I, I could have seen my mom one more time and I chose not to. And those are a lot of feelings of grief. So now this is just like, you know, I've got one life to live. I'm not going to get hung up thinking about what happens in the afterlife. I'm just going to enjoy this because life is fleeting and you could lose those around you that you love at any moment. And I could be gone at any moment. So I don't want to waste time thinking about whatever afterlife there might be. I want to focus on the here and now and Roy apologized and shared this moment about himself, but that all of that was just, man, there were so many, so many storylines and moments in the show that connected with me personally Mm -hmm. um, on so many levels. How did you feel about all of the Roy and Keeley stuff? Any, any additional thoughts? Well, yeah, I just want to speak to like that, that powerful story that you just shared, which is, yeah, that's one of the reasons this show is so wonderful and why tool is wonderful or just like, I think when you allow yourself to be vulnerable with something or when art is seeking to be able to connect or speak in a, in a deeper way, like that's, it's the, I think the best gift that there is to, to be able to reprocess those things or just even have somebody say, just acknowledge that that's a thing that we do, right. That we spend our life wishing for one more time. Uh, yeah. I think that, I mean, immediately it kind of reminds me is in my own relationship. Um, if Sam is really bummed, she would love for me to make her laugh and distract her, which is, it seems kind of like what Roy is doing, but Keely doesn't want that. Like, which is how I am. Like if I'm feeling really bad, there's just a little bit more gravity, not in a respectful way, but like, it's hard for me to overcome the inertia of an emotion. So if I'm feeling really bad, I don't want my, you know, significant other to come in and like try and make me laugh or think about something. It's like, excuse me, I'm feeling bad right here. Like, please don't diminish my experience by trying to make me laugh, which, 
you know, I just that the relationship between Roy and Keeley felt really true to me uh, in that because Sam and I still don't have that totally down. Like if she's feeling down, I kind of respect it. And I think she would prefer if I would change the subject, vice versa, you know, for me. Um, so that's, you know, speaks to, I think, the truth of their relationship. I really liked it. I thought, you know, I was a little it was beautiful because Keely needed that Keely needs somebody who can be the emotional depth and Roy is kind of closed off to a certain extent. What is a little strange is that he did that right after the scene with Jamie. Mm -hmm. And so Keely's response to the whole thing. um, And I, I loved just Roy's explanation with that. I love opening up the crazy box that is Roy um, and learning about him because of course there's vulnerability within Roy Django Boren. Kent. Yeah. <laughs> but it, uh, it, yeah, he, um, it was just a little, it made it a little ambiguous. Cause like one thing I, I made a note of is that I, like when Keely sees Jamie show up at the wedding or the funeral, um, she's, you can tell her head is like, damn, he looks good. And they have kept that as a through line throughout this whole season. Like there has been an amount of like, she's still clearly kind of has feelings for him. So when he shows up and tells her that he loves her, and she's speechless. And then Royce says, I love you after that. I don't know if they've said, if he said, I love you yet. Uh, I just, I, I can't remember. Either. Maybe they have. I don't remember either. It's a good question. So, so the idea that Jamie kind of quote unquote beat him to it is a little bit weird. Like, and how is Keely going to feel about that? And how, like, yeah, Keely's response to it all wasn't incredibly clear to me right like her feelings about jamie her feeling about roy i clearly she appreciated the thing from roy i want to believe that like he opened up to her and then she just kind of forgot about the jamie thing and hugged him um because she loves him also but uh i think it was a complex moment for her so the timing of it i thought was a really interesting bit into that whole thing like did jamie say i love you before roy did is he is jamie more vulnerable at this point is that more what keely wants it's interesting timing too because you know subtract beard after hours we really last saw jamie and roy with jamie being incredibly vulnerable and roy hugging him and kind of stepping in to to be that and and roy and jamie's relationship has been kind of building to be in a healthier place throughout the season with you know, Roy learning how to coach Jamie and give him feedback and Jamie learning how to be a better person and then reach that moment with Roy being there for Jamie when his father wasn't to now have this moment where Jamie comes in and uh, this whole scene kind of, you know, Sarah was kind of fired up about it afterwards when we were talking about the episode. She's just like, it's just a shitty thing for Jamie to do. Like, that's a lot of weight for him to put on Keely. And he does say, it doesn't really make it better, but he does say, you know, this is a horrible, shitty thing for me to do, but I'm doing it anyway. Um, he's putting all of that baggage and everything, all of the onus of everything onto Keely. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, Sarah's point was if he genuinely loved Keely, he wouldn't do that to her. He wouldn't put her in that position. Um, you know, he would respect the boundaries, res- respect the relationship that she has with Roy. And if, sure, if something falls apart there, then maybe pursue it. But you know, uh, on the other hand, it's like we only have one life to live, as Roy said. So Jamie maybe feels that like, well, this is the only life we have to live. So I do have to say something despite me being aware of how how shitty it might be. I love and- hearing Sarah's side of that because 
you know, I think I have kind of maybe a typically male or male centric view of it, which is like, I have this truth that I need to share and damn the world. I have to get it out there. Right. But yeah, I mean, I do think that there's a really valuable thing to be said for the idea that if he really cared about her, he wouldn't do that right now when she's happy. And it does put a lot of baggage on her. And especially at this time, like it, you know, it's, it's easy to get for me swept up in the overcoming the barriers of truth that we have to speak our truth. But also I think there's certainly something to be said for the time and place to be expressing that. And I think Sarah's point's really valid there. Yeah. I think she, I think she made a really good point about that. And it just, it kind of absolves Jamie of, of the baggage from it a a little bit, right. It takes the weight off of his shoulders Mm -hmm. and that's a pretty shitty thing for him to be like, well, this is weighing heavy on me. So I'm going to get it off of my chest and I'm going to put it on you. Now it's your decision. All of this weight is on Keely to be between these, you know, two men that she cares deeply for in her life. Um, And, and she's going to be the one who have to make the decision, right? Roy doesn't have to make any decisions. Jamie doesn't have to make any decisions. It's all Keely. And I, 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 I agree with Sarah. Like that's a shitty thing to do to somebody that you claim to care about uh, and love. And so I think that that takes, we're thinking about and looking back at just like what Keely and Jamie's relationship is. And she might be still, you know, attracted to him, but I think that there's some, I think that her relationship with Roy, despite Roy being closed off is, is a healthier relationship. Mm-hmm. I think her relationship with Roy, they're, they're kind of, they're more, they challenge themselves, but Jamie doesn't cause Keely to grow. Like there's no growth and there's no growth for Keely as a human being to, to being with Jamie, right? They they had great sex. They had great relationship, whatever, but like Jamie, the, her relationship with Jamie was based on her trying to make Jamie a better person. And it worked for Jamie, but it doesn't have the moment that like we had with Keely and Roy, which maybe, you know, like earlier, I think our first episode, we were kind of talking about the whole Keely and Roy needing to find space and, you know, find that balancing. It was a challenge for her and also a challenge for Roy. So it was a growth experience for both of them. Whereas, yeah. yeah. Even, even like the entire budding relationship of Roy and Keeley, like there was a lot of things that Keeley was expecting to happen, you know, when Roy was busy doing yoga and not, you know, sleeping together on the first date and, and things like that. Like those were all moments that kind of challenged Keeley to grow or to be less self-conscious or get out of her own head on what her expectations should be. And so they had a lot, they've had a lot of growth moments and all of this on the Jamie Keeley side has just been Jamie growing. And a lot of it was Keeley breaking up with Jamie because he wasn't listening to anything he was trying to, she was trying to help. So I, I feel like that their relationship, what I would love to see the show do, but knowing that they're going to do whatever they want to do and it's going to be great, but I would love (laughs) to see the show take that mature approach and her come back to Jamie and just be like, like, look, I understand. You told me you loved me, but I think you're in love with the idea of me. I've challenged you to be a better person and you are a better person now. So move on, you know, fly away a little birdie and be your own man. Um, You're in love with the idea of me improving you and helping you become a better person. But that doesn't mean that you need to be with me. You can find somebody else that can make you happy that has a, you know, a more of a, 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 you know, what's the word I'm trying to find? Uh, you know, they have synchronicity in what they bring to the relationship. Yeah. Um, you know, more of a codependence instead of a one-sided dependence more than anything. So that's yeah. why I'd love to see it go as opposed to the tropey, like, oh, we've got a love triangle now. And, 
you know, what kind of stress and drama is going to come from it. Uh, I think that that's what the show is so good at, right? It's so good at making you think it's going to go in that direction and then swerving in a different direction. Yeah. And I, I, I do, I agree. I hope that's what they do with it. And Keely does it because that, you know, that's what I want to have happen. I want Roy and Keely to be together. And I want, I also sympathize with Jamie's experience, right? Like he has, I think there's something, a quote that always means a lot to me is from a uh, young Avengers run by Kieran Gillen, but they say at some point time travel is impossible because the time traveler has changed, uh, which is this, like kind of this idea of you can never go home again. So Jamie is in love with this idea of her, but he's a fundamentally different person now because he's been affected by her. So who's to say that the person he is now would even actually love her, right? Like, just like you're saying, fly away. Like you've experienced the growth this relationship had to offer. So now go be the new person that you are and and find the perfect person for that. But I also, you know, experience a similar type of thing in my own life, which is a nostalgic person who views the past as perfect. And uh, yeah, yeah, well, you know, we're both friends who have uh, bonded over our deep nostalgia for the things of our childhood. But, you know, especially like the relationships of my past. And it's easy to look back on the old ones and be like, boy, that relationship was perfect. And it's like, no, they're, it's not. And to think that you would want to go back to those relationships is insane because you're an entirely different person. Uh, you can never go home again. The time travel is impossible because you can't go back you can't have experienced change and then go back and re-experience a thing novelly for the first time for the second time. Yeah. I sit here in this room surrounded by comic books and toys <laughs> of my childhood and everything else. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about when we want to, you know, be nostalgic and live in our youth. <laughs> I love it. You know, I love it. Uh, but particularly the relationship focus on it can be kind of, kind of okay. scary. So there's just a couple of other things I wanted to revisit before yeah. we, you know, get to the end here. Um, and maybe just to throw out a couple of things that that we loved about the episode or just little small moments that we enjoyed. Um, I really enjoyed everybody in the in the coach's room in the beginning when, you know, we get the great Ted. We talked about Ted and Roy, but we didn't talk about like Nate says if he, he wants to be reincarnated as a tiger so we can attack <laughs> everybody who's ever, you know, disrespected him or wronged him. And uh, just a wonderful Higgins being, you know, Higgins uh, says he, he wants to come back. He hopes that everyone is reincarnated as animals are the masters of people and that he would not love nothing more but then curling up at the feet of Cindy Clawfords <laughs> uh, at the end of the night was fantastic. And um, Beard, we got some moments with Beard on FaceTime with Jane. Uh, just kind of throughout the episode yeah. where he's in the cathedral and then they're both like, oh, I hope it's an open casket. And they go wander <laughs> off to look to see if they can find the casket to look at the dead body. Right. And we see him in the audience holding her up, um, you know, during the the beginning um, of the service. So those were some great moments. I had a couple. Did any other moments that jumped out to you that were just well, random throwaway moments that you really loved? I love Ted saying, I don't know if this is illegal or anything, but can I give you a hug? Because that is, you know, that's kind of the gap that exists in therapeutic relationships, I think, is that there's this sense of real closeness, but you also have to maintain a certain distance. But I think hugs are okay. I loved that. But I love his question, are you going to charge me? And she says, of course I am. And I, I wish that she had just said like, I'm going to charge the shit out of you. Like, this is a home. You're getting well, a hug. Was, I'm going to double. Like I did. She could, you know, I loved her response and there was room for her to even kind of lean into that a little bit more. I thought. Yeah. She said, uh, uh, you know, of course. And for the home, uh, 
the home call. Yeah. All right. Um, that was fantastic. Yeah. I laughed at that quite a bit. I also loved everything with Rupert. Um, yeah. And when he arrives with the baby and they're like, congratulations, mother, you fat shamed a baby. And then the, and then, um, her name is Rebecca also, right? Am I remembering that correctly? She's, you know, young Rebecca. Something oh my like, God, is she? That's crazy. I'm pretty I, sure. Because I, I didn't, it. wasn't that from last season where we found out that Rebecca was being referred to as old Rebecca? I, that sounds, her from sounds familiar, but I, that's too perfect to not be right, I think. So many creepy things out of that. She says, you know, the baby quiets down. She says, because I ate the placenta raw. Yeah, and, and, he, she knows and she it. knows it. <laughs> And then Rupert says, I got rid of all the TVs in the house. I just sit and watch them all day long. Like, yeah. what the fuck? That's yeah. the creepiest thing I've ever heard. Um, I loved the line of it's nap time. And then Sassy says, for the baby or you? Like, ooh, so good. Get and it. just that whole, yeah, you were, you were say, alluding to that a second ago. Her whole Sassy's entire, um, that means she lives up to her namesake. Her whole encounter with Rupert basically saying, like, I'm going to wear red to your funeral. So the four other people there know how much I hate you. You know, fuck off and die, Rupert. Like that um, was just a great show of support, of friendship from her friend. Um, But just also, yeah, I mean, we we get to see Sassy being full on Sassy. And then I really I really did enjoy Rebecca's mom pointing out why she is so. Uh, why she's so friendly to Rupert. Like mm-hmm. Rebecca's like, why are you always so nice to him? After she said she was proud of him, proud of her for leaving him. Um, and she's, uh, she just says, that's how you, you need to make sure that those types of people, like he's a piece of shit. He needs to know that he can't get to you. That's why I kill him with kindness. Cause I don't want him to know that he can get to me. And so they all have that moment at the end where they're just like, you know, um, uh, again another weird kind of creepy moment where uh young rebecca is like the baby won't sleep unless yeah. unless i'm in i'm in the crib with her and everybody's like oh just you know <laughs> humoring them and you know being friendly but also a little bit catty at the same time um that was a great moment and then that led to rupert saying he was going to give oh, rebecca yes. shares of the team then he walks over and whispers in Nate's ear. I read that as Rupert has to give away his shares of the team because perhaps he is investing in a different football club and is now potentially trying to recruit Nate to be a coach. That's exactly other how team. I read it as well. Yeah. Um, and so we we felt like that, you know, the picture, the, the writing was on the wall for that, you know, going back several episodes. Um, so that definitely seemed like a, a continuation of that. And we'll probably see, you know, some of those quintessential Empire Strikes Back moments as we leave it with the crew being split up um, as we head into season three with everybody being, you know, the team kind of being torn apart a bit. And I was thinking is is the return of Nate, the return of the Jedi, you know, is like him going off, but then kind of coming back to the family or, you know, something to that extent. But yeah, I would, you know, I would cap it off with saying my my favorite line, my favorite quote that kind of brought it all home for me is that I used to think that good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. And nowadays I know we all just do both because that speaks to me, which was the most powerful resonant thing for me, which is just the challenge of trying to hold the good and bad parts of a person in your heart when, when thinking about them. And uh, 
yeah, I, I haven't seen art tackle that idea much. So uh, really personally important to me. Great stuff. For me, you live, you die, you're done. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was it. But I have, uh, I have uh, one, one last Ted Lasso Twitter to mm. lead us out here today. Um, some people like to rise and grind, but I say rise and have a genuine conversation with someone you love. See you next week. See you next week.